So we've been, I, I informed the morning service folks about this today, and I might as well inform you too. I have, um, I took one public speaking class in college, and one of the only rules I can remember was to never let the audience know that you're nervous. And I'm really, really nervous. So I'm just putting that out there. Now you know. <laughs> Bear with me. This is not an easy thing for me to do. Um, I think partly because I definitely see myself as more of the learner than the teacher. So bear with me with that as well. <laughs> um, to start, I thought because we've been going through the book of Philemon uh, the first week, Pastor Scott talked about um, Philemon from the perspective of Paul as an advocate. And the second week, Jason talked about um, uh, Philemon as the slave owner and showed us how we could kind of, how we needed to get rid of some of the ownership in our lives. And I'm going to be talking about Onesimus, who's the slave in the story this week, um, briefly, or at least I'll be talking about what we can learn from Onesimus. Um, so to start, because Scott and Jason both did a really great job at giving us a scriptural background, and I don't have to do that, um, I'm just going to read through. It's just a one-chapter book, so I'm just going to read through it so that we can kind of hear it again, or for the first time, maybe. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have, beco I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, 
Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, what about Onesimus? <laughs> He's the slave in the story, kind of the guinea pig. The um, He is living in slavery, escapes, probably rather excited about being freed, and then even more so, he meets Paul and converts to Christianity, so things are just getting better and better. And then he gets sent back to his slave owner, to the man that he ran away from, probably stole from, and he has to be sent back to him. Paul, speaking for him on his behalf or not, this is still a difficult, this is going to be a difficult, intense relationship to mend. So, and we don't really get to see how that plays out, but we can imagine. Um, So what's the point? What can we learn from Onesimus' perspective in the story? I'm going to put this thought out there. This idea of being free, this slave escaping into freedom and really experiencing that freedom once he's sent back to a place of imprisonment um, as not a slave anymore. I think that in order to experience true freedom, we need to be completely released from something, whatever that is. Um, I I, I like to fish, <laughs> and um, I'm not used to fishing alone, but I have two boys, so I really am kind of fishing alone. Um, and I have to confess that when, I act- when we go fishing, I kind of hope they don't catch anything, because I'm the one that has to take the fish off the hook. <laughs> and it's never a pretty sight. <laughs> but um, I want to, and, and, we, and I get through it. <laughs> Um, and I see them adding into the story over there. Yeah. <laughs> they know it's not a pretty sight either. <laughs> but in order for the fish <laughs> to feel free, he has to be completely released from that hook. And that can get really ugly <laughs> unless they make a clean break and the hook comes smoothly out of his poor little mouth. It, you know, he has to be completely free to enjoy, completely released in order to enjoy the freedom that we're setting him into. So, taking this back a step, if we need to be released in order to feel free, then we probably need to know what we're being released from. And that, I think, is one of the hardest things, especially in terms of application for me and from, I guess, from what I observe as well. What are we actually being freed from? And I think we can put the generic stamp of... um, addictions or uh, work, relationships, um, things that we can easily point to and say, I'm, I'm really a slave to that. I, I work too much to spend enough time with my kids. Um, I'm in an unhealthy relationship that I can't seem to get out of because it's just too comfortable. Um, but I think that there's an even more common thread than that in what we're actually in bondage and that's pride. Um, Pride being kind of at the essence of what we're really slaves to, and that release meaning a release from pride. Things like addiction and jobs and the things that we tend to point our fingers to say that we're slaves to, um, 
are really just manifestations of where our pride is kind of holding us back. And I think that, and when I say pride, I mean what it is, it's pride meaning I'm letting how I perceive myself to allow, to kind of motivate my actions, my behaviors, my decisions. And that can, that can show itself in different ways. The, the first of which is in arrogance. That's kind of the, the typical way that we see the negative side of pride. Um, a feeling of self-entitlement. I deserve this. I need this. I'm entitled to this. Onesimus felt he was entitled to freedom from Philemon. Philemon felt as though he was entitled to Onesimus. Um, that was what was motivating both of their behaviors. So to have the slave who thought that he should be free restored to the owner who thought he should own this man, that's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic, to, but they were coming from the same exact plane. That's the, and that's the interesting part to me, is that they were both coming from their own perception of themselves. Another way pride, showed its, pride shows itself in us is in kind of the opposite extreme of arrogance, in, um, in a feeling of unworthiness. I have tended to fall in this category. Um, when you feel like you're not good enough for something, based on, it could be very simply, I feel sorry for myself. I don't think I deserve this. Uh, I don't deserve someone to love me. I don't deserve, I've done too many bad things to warrant any good things. <laughs> Something a little bit, uh, uh, personal angle on this, I guess I can bring up. I'm, as a lot of you know, I'm divorced. And I still think that by far the worst side effect of my divorce is the fact that I have been released into the dating world. <laughs> I do not know what I'm doing. <laughs> I haven't been there for 10 years. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and as I've kind of dealt with this and kind of battled with it personally, I've realized that, well, first of all, on a very kind of practical level, I don't understand it because I haven't been a part of it. Um, I, I label myself as somebody who has way too much baggage to ever be <laughs> ready for a relationship. Um, and even more so, so that's what's kind of motivating me. That's that pride that's making me, I'm seeing myself a certain way, and that's prohibiting me from doing something that could be very healthy for me. And how that manifests itself in how I act is, I, and I kind of hold on to this, this view, I think because of what I experience in the world of dating, that... I feel somehow that maybe it's irresponsible of me to actually date. <laughs> that I need to be focused on marriage and, you know, something serious. And I can't entertain the idea of anything else because that would just be irresponsible. But, and I'm going to say the, the S word, take sex out of the equation, which is something that complicates an already confusing enough part of our lives, 
it doesn't have to be so bad. <laughs> and I can learn from that. And I can actually, you know, op- be open to something, things that I might not normally be open to. And so I was having an interesting time with God and dealing with this. And, um, and probably within the next two weeks, <laughs> I found myself dating, not uh, anything of significance, but I was getting out there and that was good. And I even gave my number to the garbage man on our street, <laughs> which, <laughs> um, who seemed like a very nice man. And, um, Sanitation engineer, yes, great job. And he was very polite and asked me if it would be inappropriate to have coffee. And I said, no, not at all. If, he, if, if it would be inappropriate for him to ask me to have coffee. And I said, no, not at all. I would not have even entertained, I probably wouldn't have even been open to this six months ago. <laughs> I needed to be released from the ancient kind of ideas that I had about myself, about dating, and to actually be freed from that and be open to new things. I had no idea that my self-perceptions and my own baggage was actually distracting me and, you know, putting up this barrier for me into moving to a place where, which could be a very healthy thing that God wants me to be part of. So, might be too much information, but... (laughs) Um, A third way... It kind of falls in the middle, and I'm talking about pride still here. Um, how we see that in the Christian life is an indifference. So you don't necessarily think you're entitled to something. You're, you're not too arrogant. You don't totally feel sorry for yourself. You think you're okay. <laughs> You're completely, and you think, I'm good. I, I've, I've got things going for me. What do I need something for? What do I need? Why do I need anything to change? And I think at some points in our lives, that's good. <laughs> it's good to have moments where we're feeling really healthy and confident and strong spiritually, and that's great. But if we're never taking stock of where our weaknesses and where our strengths are, then we might miss out on a lot of learning opportunities. And going back to my initial thought to put out there, we can't truly feel free unless we're actually released from something. And we don't know, if we don't know what we're even being released from, then we can never actually embrace spiritual freedom. So, as we're kind of reflecting on, and hopefully I'm putting it out there so that we're kind of reflecting on where we find ourselves on this spectrum. You know where I am. (laughs) Um, So, moving on. This doesn't all have to be negative. (laughs) There is a, a light somewhere out there. What does it take to actually be released into this idea of spiritual freedom? We don't have Paul writing letters for us to our pride. We don't, we have the very obvious imitation or example of the ultimate um, advocate being Christ on the cross. We have that. We have that to hold on to. We have that to look back to and remember constantly. 
But because of that, it requires a lot of personal motivation. We have to actively, and I'm, again, saying this to myself as well, we have to actively pursue a release from the pride that's holding us back from feeling free. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> this isn't through composed. <laughs> um, we have to actively, actively, okay, release ourselves from this pride. Now, obviously, we need, we, you know, and the, the songs have attested to some of this. We need to go. Jesus, we need to invite Jesus to help us do this, that we obviously cannot do this alone. And I think just in any, when... In any problem, if you're looking towards problem resolution, what's the first step? Understanding the problem. Knowing what the problem is. Having this awareness that what's holding us back from feeling free is, isn't just the thing that we can point at that we don't do very well. So in order to embrace freedom, there's a few kind of inward things that need to happen. And that's that giving up of our self-perceptions of how we see ourselves and actually trying to see ourselves the way God sees us. And that can be really difficult, because for, for, the, for the entitled and for the unworthy and everywhere in between, we see ourselves a certain way, and we desperately hold on to that. But giving up that part of us doesn't mean giving up our accountability or our, our choices, our ability to make choices and decisions and to listen for the call of God and um, behave in a way that we feel that we should be and doing good. And it's not giving up that. It's giving up that one little piece <laughs> that tends to be such a huge barrier to our freedom. Sometimes, on the outside... That looks like actually going back to the places that imprison us. I, uh, I tend to gravitate towards people who don't believe and who think I'm nuts for believing. And, and that's for the very simple reason that I know exactly what they're talking about. I've been there. I was raised in a Christian home, had wonderful examples of Christianity from my parents, had totally horrible examples from everybody else I saw in the religious world. And so I vehemently rejected the gospel and any sort of idea of faith for years. And I think we, a lot of us at least, can find ourselves relating to that somehow. We all know that person that is, that guy is a Christian, I don't want to be one. But there were few enough people <laughs> who showed Christianity in a light that made me think, wow, there's real, there's, a, there's something about them, whatever they're having, I want some. And it was so powerful that only a handful of people <laughs> showing that to me did enough to completely dismiss <laughs> <Look at> you. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. 
to completely dismiss all of the negative examples I had of Christianity. And I'm going to spill this, so. I'll try. cup of water and I forget where I am. Thanks, Nancy Ann. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so I think that I've kind of tried to show where we're going with, okay, we, we know what's holding us back, what, what it is that's putting up these barriers towards this freedom. We know kind of what we need to do. Don't necessarily know how to do it. I don't either. Some days I do it great. And some days I don't at all. But what does it look like? And, and maybe that's, that's a good way to, to, to look ahead to what will this actually look like? What does freedom, freedom look like? <laughs> um, well, first of all, like I said before, if we're releasing whatever it is that's holding us to our own perceptions of ourselves... And seeing ourselves the way God sees us. The fact that we are actually open and free to be loved, which is the hardest part of this whole process, I think. We're that much freer to love every single person we encounter. We understand that what is, what is it that ties us all together? Well... It's the fact that we can't get over ourselves. <laughs> the good or the bad, we just can't get over ourselves. Pride holds us back from being free to be loved by God and then to allow that love to completely flow over to every single person we encounter. It puts us all on the same ground. We're all on level ground. <laughs> And that's exactly what the gospel is, right? I mean, that's, that's God saying, here's what I want you to do. And there he is, walking around with us, showing us exactly what it looks like to be free, to be motivated by the love of God, to love others. So what does freedom look like? It looks like a former slave and his former owner united on the same level, probably leading a church together. It looks like God, the creator, and man, the createe, walking hand in hand on earth and in a spiritual sense, intimate connection. The, uh, even the example of Christ on the cross. I mean, that, that's, at that time, the lowliest form of execution that there was. Any amount of pride was shattered to bits because of how Jesus died. It was for the lowest of the low. Any amount of pride was crushed. And at such an important time in Christian history, the fact that... <laughs> Pride was just shot to bits. 
speaks volumes as to how we should see pride. I'm checking my time. How long have I been going? So, we see, going back to the original point, freedom is only experienced and only awesomely experienced once we're completely released from something. We need to know what it is that we're being released from, and we need to be very proactive about making that happen ourselves with the help of God, of course, but we need to be proactive. What does it look like? It looks like complete unity with ourselves, with God, with every single person around us, and our community way beyond the walls of this church building. It's contagious when you meet someone who really expresses this kind of freedom. People tend to pinpoint Christians, we've heard this a million times, you just follow all these rules, right? It's, you know, the, the two biggest arguments I hear, why would you believe in a God that allows or maybe even wants such horrible things to happen in the world? And how can you say that you're free when you just follow all these rules? Now, take God out of that equation. The rules kind of make sense anyway, <laughs> It's kind of moral integrity and health, <laughs> you know, on a very generic level. But in talking about freedom and this idea that it is a contagious part of someone when it's actually when you, when you've actually you know completely experienced it, it's powerful. <laughs> And I would venture to say that it was those people in my life who I saw as the very few but very influential spokespeople for Christianity that showed an inner spiritual independence. And it was the ones that kind of focused on the rules that made me not like it so much. So I guess my, my challenge to all of us is to live freely, to acknowledge, be aware, be aware of what it is that's holding us back from experiencing freedom. And knowing, I think, I hope, <laughs> I hope that all of us have met somebody that really displays this kind of freedom and knows enough and has experienced enough to understand how powerful that can be. Multiply that times anything, considering about five people showed me that and hundreds showed me the complete opposite. Multiply those five people by anything, and it's a really powerful movement <laughs> in here, in the city, in our world. And so now is the time for us to respond to this. Do with it what you will. <laughs> As I said, I'm, I'm on the, the learning end of this curve. But as we go to the table, 
I guess I just encourage us to, to think, go through this process. Think about what it is that's holding us back. Think about what it could look like to actually experience freedom from ourselves. <laughs> I'm the one who gets in the way of my relationship with God, with other people. It's, it's me. Think about where you fall on that spectrum. Think about what it could look like. And if you decide to respond at table, dipping, breaking the piece of bread, dipping it in the wine or the juice, reflect on that. Um, we're going to be playing a song that uh, I think will encourage that reflection. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you that you offer this freedom to us, even though whether we like it or not, we tend to not experience it as much as we should. I thank you for what you did to allow this, to, to offer this to us, that it took sending your son to die on a cross in a humiliating and extremely painful way. And I pray that all of us will use this time to reflect on where, where we are and where we could be and to constantly be looking towards this idea that one day, tomorrow, months from now, years from now, we could experience regular freedom in you. In your name, amen. The table will be open for the remainder of the time.